Hello and welcome to the Weekend Wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am your host, Ben Davison, and it is Sunday the 25th of June in the year 2023. And what a huge week it has been, not just in Australian politics, but in global news as well. And of course, we had intended on talking about the Titan. This is the Ocean Gate uh, undersea submersible vessel that imploded, killing all five passengers. Uh, talking about the cuts to safety that were undertaken, the billionaire who spent half a million dollars to put himself and his son in that unsafe vessel, uh, the fact that James Cameron, well-known undersea explorer and movie director, uh, was uh, has spoken at length about the uh, corners and shortcuts that were taken by Ocean Gate in regards to Titan. And then, of course, we had we had the somewhat surreal uh, spectacle of Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk challenging each other to a cage fight, which now apparently Dana White, the founder of uh, UFC, is going to put on pay-per-view. And then just in the last 24 hours, we've had uh, the situation in Russia where where the Wagner Group uh, seemingly was about to topple the Putin regime uh, just to wake up this morning and discover that the Wagner Group has done some sort of deal via the president of Belarus to stop their march on Moscow. I mean, these are three huge stories that have all started to take place since, uh, that have really come to light since uh, the week on Wednesday episode with Van and myself. And, of course, we cannot forget that locally we have seen the referendum bill pass uh, the parliament, uh, Peter Dutton doubling down on the coalition's position against uh, the referendum. We've seen the sort of unholy uh, no alliance forming. And you can say whatever you like about the rationales or reasons why people have joined the No Alliance. The reality is a referendum is a binary choice. You get to choose yes or you get to choose no. Now, if you choose no, then you have done the exact same thing as everybody else who's chosen no. Your reasons are actually irrelevant. The outcome is still a no vote. And I want to make this very, very, very clear because there are a lot of people who are upset about a cartoon made by Kathy Wilcox where she shows Lydia Thorpe joining forces with Peter Dutton and Pauline Hanson to say no. Lydia Thorpe has this week said that she will campaign uh, for no, and she has said she wants to contribute to the writing of the no pamphlet. Now, whatever her reasons may be, whatever, uh, however um, selfless or community-minded or whatever they might be, the reality is a referendum is a binary choice and a no vote will result in a no position. That means no constitutional recognition. It means no voice to parliament. It means a delay in further reconciliation. I understand Lydia Thorpe's position is she wants greater sovereignty. She wants to lead a black, B-L-A-K, sovereign movement. That's all well and good. 
how that is achieved by voting against the referendum is unclear. I haven't seen any clear explanation of how stopping progress towards reconciliation as it has been laid out in the Uluru Statement from the Heart by the vast majority of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in this country is in any way going to contribute to the achievement of black sovereignty. It's simply not clear, and quite frankly, I think it's a little disingenuous. Now, there's no question that Peter Dutton is divisive and is seeking political advantage. Pauline Hanson is deeply entrenched in this notion uh, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people should not be recognised as being the First Nations people of Australia. She is deeply entrenched in a particular race-based view of Australia, which she continually tries to gaslight Australians into believing is anti-racist because she wants everyone treated, quote, unquote, the same. Treating everyone the same is not equity. It is not equality. When people are facing systemic and intergenerational disadvantage as a result of the behaviours of institutions and governments and individuals within those places, then treating everyone the same actually further entrenches that disadvantage. And that's really the counter-argument to the Pauline Hanson view. The counter-argument to the Dutton view, quite frankly, is that he simply wants political advantage. A bit like his newfound friends, the Greens, who are seeking political advantage when it comes to housing policy, Peter Dutton doesn't particularly care about the referendum. He doesn't particularly care about the voice, although he did spend an exorbitant amount of time in the last couple of days of Parliament asking ridiculous questions about whether or not the voice would advise the Department of Defence, whether they would advise the RBA. It should be noted that the RBA already receives advice from business lobbyists and business groups, and the Department of Defence already receives advice from military contractors and the suppliers of military equipment. Receiving advice is not the same as receiving direction, and this is the Dutton approach, is to conflate and confuse people between advice and direction. The voice is not a directive body, it is an advisory body. This, of course, is one of Lydia Thorpe's objections to it. So the No campaign will be based on three fundamental flaws. One, that it doesn't go far enough and is not directive uh, and therefore does not provide sovereignty. That's the Lydia Thorpe view. Two, that the voice goes too far and will gum up the works of government because it may decide to provide advice to various government agencies or bodies uh, and confuse the words advice with the words direction. That's the Peter Dutton view. And thirdly, that the voice is somehow racist, which is, of course, the Pauline Hansen view because it treats Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people differently 
from other Australians. Well, of course, what it does is it recognises Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in our constitution as being here first and expands the point at which our country became a country some 60,000 years. And it recognises that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities do have different needs because we have policies designed to deal with the systemic and inherent racism of the past and that the voice provides an opportunity for government to get advice directly from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people about how those policies should be constructed. That's the counter-argument to Pauline Hanson. Now, of course, this campaign has a long way to go. We still don't have a date for the referendum. The passing of the legislation means that it must be done within six months and no earlier than two months of the passing. So one can speculate that sometime in October is a likely time frame for the referendum. Of course, we here at The Week on Wednesday, myself and Van, are campaigning for yes. We encourage you to campaign for yes. We encourage you to check out yes23.org.au. Or, of course, join your union because the union movement is campaigning strongly on yes. The union movement has a long history of supporting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in their struggles for equality, and now is no different. Unions for Yes is up and running. You can join your union at australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, and you can, of course, follow the links uh, on the Australian Union's website to get involved in the union campaigns. Of course, the other big piece of news locally is around the Housing Affordability Fund. And finally, insiders managed to get an Albanese Labor government minister on the show. After weeks and weeks of uh, crossbenchers and opposition from the Noalition spokespeople appearing, they got a minister, someone who's actually inside the government to talk about Uh, policy on insiders. Fantastic. Good to see. Their final show in Melbourne, and they did manage to get Julie Collins, who is the Minister for Housing. Now, Julie Collins made some excellent points about the failures of the proposed sorts of policies the Greens have put forward. So long-term studies have shown that rent freezes and caps reduce supply of housing. This is one of the points that Julie Collins made, that the Greens' position would actually reduce housing supply, which is the opposite of what's needed. We need more houses. We have fewer houses per capita than the average OECD nation. That means there are less houses to go around. That means rents are higher. That means property prices are higher. What the Albanese Labor government is trying to do, according to Julie Collins on Insiders Today, is increase supply. That's what the Housing Affordability Fund was about. That's what the $9.5 billion, up from $7.5 billion for the financing corporation is about, is to increase supply, 30,000 more houses over five years. Now, Renters are obviously a growing proportion of the population. 30% of Australians rent. There needs to be reforms to rent. There's no question. There's no question about that. And we've seen in places like Victoria and Queensland, 
where Labor governments have been in place for some time, reforms put in place, reforms around how rents are set, reforms around how rental properties are managed, uh, reforms around the quality uh, of rental properties, heating, cooling, those sorts of things. Uh, but caps and freezes are, in the, according to international experience, and you only need to look at New York, which has looked at this, and we've had some correspondence from people about programs in Europe, uh, but in New York in particular, caps and freezes on rent have actually increased prices. So, and decreased, sorry, decreased supply. So the supply question is fundamental, fundamental to what we need to achieve here. Julie Collins made the point that once again, the Greens are asking for something the Commonwealth cannot do. The Commonwealth cannot freeze rents. There have been referendums about this. Van and I talked about this on the work on Wednesday. I encourage you to go and check that out because really Van makes it very clear why the Greens' position is wrong. One of the things that struck me about Julie Collins' interview on Insiders today was that she pointed out that the Housing Affordability Fund included $200 million for repairs and maintenance to uh, housing in remote Indigenous communities. That now, of course, has been delayed as well. There are so many elements to the housing debate and trying, trying to gain political mileage at the expense of some of the most vulnerable people in our country is disgraceful. It is disgraceful. There's no question that people are feeling the pinch when it comes to rent. I've been a renter. I was, for the majority of my adult life, a renter. And rent increases have certainly gotten worse. There's no question about that. And it is a supply issue. When you have high levels of employment and you have low levels of supply, rents will go up as much as landlords think they can get away with. The systemic solution is to increase supply, to build more houses, to increase the availability of rental properties. Uh, and Labor has put in place a range of measures, including incentives, working with superannuation funds, working with community housing providers, all sorts of things. But fundamentally, the Housing Affordability Fund is the big ticket item. It's the $10 billion item, and it's been put in the deep freeze by the Noalition and the Greens. Hopefully, they will see sense. But of course, we are now in the winter recess. And there is no hope of any movement uh, over the coming weeks on this issue. There will be a national cabinet meeting and the Greens political party has said that Labor should direct the states and territories to simply implement a freeze. This is not something that can be done. I don't know how it works in the Greens. I'm not a member of the Greens. I never have been. I never will be. But in the Labor party, the state governments are not directed by the Commonwealth uh, simply because we are all wearing the same red T-shirts. That's not how it works. So many of the states have already indicated they will not implement a freeze, they will not implement caps, uh, because they have looked at that research that says it affects supply and undermines the long-term interests of renters and the supply of affordable housing. 
So it will be on the table for discussion at the July meeting of the National Cabinet. But one suspects the Greens won't get a policy outcome, but they will get the political outcome they're looking for, which is they will get the opportunity to once again grandstand on a federal stage against the Labor Party, uh, while locally Greens councillors right across the country continue to block the construction of homes on various spurious grounds. We don't expect that to change anytime soon. Before I finish up on insiders, I just want to say the final thought from the spokesperson for the boss's pamphlet today was a not-so-subtle dig at renewable energy. And quite frankly, it was a bit disgraceful to say that the increase in power prices is due to renewable energy is simply wrong. It's based on no factual evidence whatsoever. And to say that the question of who should pay for transmission is up in the air and may well fall on the shoulders of consumers, households and small business is also wrong. But of course, you would expect the boss's pamphlet to toe the boss's line and they certainly did on their final thought on insiders. We all know multinational energy corporations have been profiteering at the expense of Australian households and small business. We know this because the stats and the numbers and the figures show it to be true. Even the RBA has started to say that this is true after months of denying the reality of the situation. Uh, even the OECD coming out and saying that this was a problem. But of course, the boss's pamphlet and its spokespeople will never jeopardize the almighty advertising dollar, no matter how many, no matter how many households they put into a state of fear and apprehension because at the end of the day, the boss's pamphlet is for the bosses. Let's go back to international news because in Russia, the coup that was not seems to be the news of the day. So the Wagner Group withdrew from Ukraine took over the city of Rostov-on-Don, uh, which is, of course, the headquarters, the southern headquarters of the Russian military. Uh, the General Chief of Staff, Gerasimov, was in that headquarters, uh, seems to have disappeared, uh, gone into hiding. Uh, the Wagner Group then tried to march on Moscow. There's heaps of footage. You can see all this online. Uh Lukashenko seems to, the president of Belarus, seems to have negotiated some kind of an agreement between uh, uh, the leader of the Wagner Group uh, and the Russian government uh, to stop the march on Moscow. Uh, and the leader of the Wagner Group and its leadership seem to be going into exile in Belarus. There are now reports of uh, I don't know if you'd call them reprisals or arrests or searches, however you would describe it. The FSB, which is the Russian Security uh, Bureau, uh, is now uh, rounding people up by the looks of it. There seems to be protests in some parts of Russia. It's a very unclear uh, set of circumstances. What does appear to be clear is that the... Wagner column that was marching on Moscow is no longer doing that, uh, that they are demobilizing 
uh, themselves and returning to their bases in the southern parts of Russia, and that Putin's regime uh, is, as of uh, 11 a.m. on Sunday the 25th of June, uh, Australian Eastern uh, Standard Time, still in place. Does that mean it will survive another six months, another six days, another six years? Who knows? Uh, I've seen reports that the Deputy Prime Minister of uh, Russia has fled to Turkey and requested asylum. Uh, there's lots of very strange things going on over there. You know, it's been a very strange week in international news. Uh while all of this has been happening, of course, Ukraine has been in the midst of a counteroffensive and achieving some good gains. Uh, I saw reports that some large numbers of Russian troops on the front lines have been surrendering. Uh, I haven't got confirmation of those reports, but we hope to get more clarity uh, in the coming days. And hopefully by Wednesday, Van and I will be able to give you a full and proper accounting. You can hear a kookaburra laughing in the background. Uh, I am in Sydney today recording the weekend wrap. I hope you're enjoying the bird noises of the Harbour City. The Speaking of bird noises, I need to touch on very briefly uh, the Zuckerberg-Musk fight. You know, the implosion of the Titan and the death of the billionaire and his son, along with the French explorer, uh, the pilot, and uh, the CEO who cut all the safety corners, did give people pause to think about the humanity of billionaires. And, of course, also you saw lots of people um, making uh, jokes or poking fun at it. One should remember that when the Titanic sank, the media did exactly the same thing uh, to the very wealthy people who died on the Titanic the first time around. Uh, this is not a new thing in uh, in human culture. People who have made their fortunes at the expense of others uh, and then suffer a tragedy because of some um, kind of silly, ridiculous um, corner cutting or, or penny pinching uh, have been traditionally made fun of. Uh, Elon Musk and uh, Mark Zuckerberg's cage fight has prompted similar waves of derision from around the world. Uh, Andrew Tate, the uh, currently imprisoned um, uh, and charged uh, with sex offences uh, uh, person, former kickboxer, uh, has volunteered to train Elon Musk uh, I don't know how he'll do that from a Romanian prison, but he has offered to do so. So it's a very strange week for billionaires. Uh, for the rest of us, for working people, you know, there have been some very uh, interesting outcomes as well. We saw the Australian Ballet uh, have a uh, industrial action for the first time in a long time, and shout out and solidarity to the Australian Ballet, who held the curtain, which means they delayed the performance. Uh, as mentioned earlier, you should join your union at australianunions.org.au slash wow. And, of course, there are numerous actions going on. The Visi action is still going on in Shepparton. Uh, there are actions right around the country where workers are standing up against billionaires 
because if the last week has shown us anything, it's that billionaires don't really care about working people. They're prepared to spend half a million dollars to go and visit the Titanic on a submersible that would not pass James Cameron's safety inspection. They're prepared to challenge each other to cage fights on pay-per-view, but they're not prepared to stop uh, horrendous uh, racial abuse, sexual uh, innuendo, uh, just the most vile things that one can say on social media. They're not prepared to stop the anti-democratic movements that hijack their own platforms. And they certainly have no qualms about sacking thousands and thousands of people. So when we think about the structure of our economy and we think about the news's focus on the Titan or the cage match, we should probably also put that into the perspective of the thousands of workers that Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg have destroyed the lives of, uh, the thousands and tens of thousands of people whose lives have been impacted by their failure to crack down on anti-democratic forces on their platform, Uh, and, of course, the many millions of people whose labour has been exploited uh, by billionaires uh, and those who have uh, themselves suffered loss either of loved ones uh, or who have themselves died uh, fleeing from conflict, often perpetrated by those seeking greater riches and fortune. And when I think about the Wagner Group and its interest in gold mines and diamond mines and rare earth minerals in Africa, uh, in South America, in the Middle East, uh, and I think about how many people from those places have had to flee conflicts uh, and perished or suffered on those journeys to try and find safety, I am reminded that there are human costs beyond the kind of uh, spectacle of Zuckerberg and Musk fighting in a cage or the grim uh, spectacle of the Titan implosion. And those human costs are real for many thousands and thousands of people. So when we think about those two particular stories, I do want to think more broadly about the human suffering that billionaires are inflicting upon people right around the world, uh, either through conflict, through abuse, through exploitation, or simply through petty, petty greed. Now, we have had some questions from people uh, on the week on Wednesday. Uh, It's been an interesting uh, week. Lots of comments about the RBA coming through on the email. You can send us, of course, questions to theweekonwednesday at gmail.com. I have a question here about um, the rise in trans hate uh, in the USA and the UK and uh, its increase in uh, Australia and that it doesn't seem likely to end. Bathroom and medical treatment bans progressing through some U.S. states and some U.S. hospital systems considering their own bans. Stronger protections are necessary to prevent these trends spreading to Australia. What do you think? I. What do I think? I think uh, that we absolutely must stand in solidarity with our trans comrades. There is no question that uh, trans rights are human rights. 
that the kind of petty fear-mongering that goes on around these issues, uh, particularly when it comes to things like bathroom access, uh, is ridiculous and based on nothing but fear. There is no substantive basis for saying that uh, trans people accessing bathrooms will somehow um, increase the rate of crime. I saw a comedian make a joke, and I think it's relevant because it actually speaks to a certain truth, uh, that sex offenders are not lurking in parks, uh, chasing women uh, into women's bathrooms and then going, oh, drat, now that they're in a women's only space, I won't go in and assault them. Uh, this is not... Uh, this is not a campaign based on reality. It is a campaign based on fear and bigotry and protecting uh, uh, each other is fundamentally about solidarity. And people should be able to express who they are. They should not be victimised for that. They should not be denied the opportunity to be who they are simply because somebody else fears that that might in some way impact them when it doesn't and it, it has no impact whatsoever. Uh, if your neighbour is trans, it doesn't impact you at all. It has no uh, relevance to your life other than that perhaps your neighbour will be happier being their true self. So do I think there should be greater protections uh, for uh, our trans comrades? Absolutely. I absolutely do. Uh, I'm very proud uh, to say that I've been involved in uh, having transition leave put into collective agreements in this country uh, so that our uh, trans comrades have been able to access the medical support that they need uh, to be who they truly are. We should always stand against hatred and bigotry. And it's interesting that hatred and bigotry attracts hatred and bigotry. We saw that with Moira Deeming and the Nazis in Victoria. Uh, we're seeing it now with the no campaign uh, about the referendum. We need to stand in solidarity with each other. And that is absolutely vital. Uh, we've had some other comments more than questions about the RBA. Uh, as someone wrote to me saying uh, that uh, we could call the RBA, uh, what did they say we could call it? The Revenge of the Bourgeois for Autocracy. Uh, I thought that was interesting. If you've got ideas about how we could rebadge the RBA, do let me know. Uh, hopefully I've answered. There was a question about would a rent freeze actually work? Uh, hopefully we've answered that uh, question as well. Look, do send through your questions. Uh, we won't always get to answer all of them directly, uh, but hopefully we will throughout the course of this show and, of course, the week on Wednesday. We are so close to a million downloads. Your support through our Buy Me A Coffee page, that's buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday, has been phenomenal. It's allowed us to reach an ever-growing audience of people. And, of course, your solidarity not just with trans communities, not just with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, not just with working communities that you're in, but with working communities across the country. Uh, a shout out to uh, the crews on the Sydney ferries who contacted us this week. Uh, 
thanking us for our solidarity with Thomas Mayo, who, of course, has been attacked for his strong yes position on the referendum. Uh, the MUA are a staunch union that stand in solidarity and have done for a very long time with our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander comrades, and we offer our solidarity uh, to all MUA members uh, and, in particular, those Sydney Ferry members who have just come off the back of more than a decade of oppressive uh, liberal national coalition government trying to break them. They have stood firm. They have stood up for safety. They have stood up for the commuters and workers of Sydney, and you always have our solidarity. Now, until Wednesday when Van will join me for the next edition of the week on Wednesday, remember to be kind to yourself and to each other.